RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 352 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, January 30th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 2nd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And in the audio booth this week is an old friend of the show... Skiffy, welcome back, Skiffy. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you filling in for Winters and Tony while they're both away this week. But thank you so much for filling in. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we check out some new science in the form of holograms. Well, sort of. More actors express an interest in a Tarantino Star Trek film. Snoop Dogg is a Trekizzy. Who wrote that? And Discovery continues to break records. In Star Trek Online, the 8th anniversary celebrations continue, and we're joined by systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Randall to discuss the new re-engineering system. On screen is episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery, What's Past is Prologue. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love hearing from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Captains, now's the time where I talk about Patreon. And I want to talk about it because this has been a phenomenal month. So many of you have decided to contribute to the ongoing production of Priority One Podcast. And we are so very grateful for those contributions. Because of you, we're only $80 short of our monthly financial goals. That's right, only $80. Just think of it. If 80 of you contribute $1, we'd already hit our monthly financial goals. Now, a big shout out to our brand new patron, Jonathan S., Now, Captains, as I've been looking at the administrative dashboard for Patreon, I've been noticing a very humbling trend, and that's that many of you are first-time contributors on Patreon, and we're the content provider you've decided to donate your money to. And again, that's a very humbling thing. So a big thanks to you for supporting Priority One in that way. Now, remember, we're only $80 short, so with your help, we can certainly reach that goal. Now, we understand that a financial contribution may not be possible, but there are other ways that you can support Priority One. For instance, we could use some iTunes reviews. So if you listen to the show on the podcast app on your iOS device, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the quality of the show and whether or not you enjoy it. Another way you can support the show is by sharing it with your friends. Tell your fellow Trekkies that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One Podcast. And as always, Captains, without you, none of this would be possible. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One? Now is your chance. 
If you've ever listened to our bloopers, you know it takes a lot of time and work to compile and edit the show each week, and our dedicated team is stretched just a bit too thin. If you've got experience with audio editing and can spare an hour or two a week, we could use your help. If you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Science continues to inch us closer to the worlds we've seen in our beloved science fiction franchises. Daniel Smalley, an electrical engineer at the Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and his team have managed to manipulate tiny particles in air to form solid images that can be seen from virtually any angle called volumetric images. These displays are better than holograms in that they do not require them to be projected onto anything. By moving a trapped particle fast enough and hitting it with lasers, they're able to create tiny shapes that look solid to the naked eye. There's a video by the YouTube channel Nature Video that interviews the researchers and demonstrates their tiny capabilities. Now, it might seem to flicker on screen, but a lot of that has to do with the frame rates and shutter speeds of the cameras used to record. So what could this tech be used for? Well, think along the lines of holographic displays like those seen in Star Wars before a big space battle, but maybe not that advanced. According to an article by sciencemag.org, quote, the real benefits will come from the ability to display spatial relationships in a way that we can't do today using 3D visualizations instead of 2D ones, end quote. The buzz surrounding the possibility of a new Star Trek film led by Quentin Tarantino keeps spreading, and it looks like more and more Star Trek alumni are willing to jump on board if the script is right. In a Twitter exchange last week, William Shatner weighed in when asked if he would ever star in a Tarantino Star Trek flick. His reply, quote, depends on the script, but if it was good, then absolutely, why not, end quote. You know, everybody's saying this. Uh, it depends on the script. Depends on the paycheck. Yeah. It depends. Uh, <laughs> it, I, like, depends that's really what it boils down to. Always it always just went. Exactly. It and always the depends. I would do it if it. No, I would. It didn't depend on the script. I would just do it if anybody asked me. I just, would too. Are you for guys the record. excited by a Tarantino Star Trek flick? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before, and I am a big fan of Tarantino. I'm totally on board with this. I, wh what do you think, Skiffy? We haven't heard your... People have heard our opinions on this. What, what, well, what do you I, think? I'm envisioning Pulp You're a film buff. Space, which um, I, I, I can't say it'd be all bad, but you know what? I, I've had a lot of reservations on a lot of films that have turned out to be awesome, and I've had a lot of reservations on a lot of films that have turned out to be horrible. Uh, so you, you never know until you know. Um, I guess my my most recent reservation probably had to do with Ben Affleck playing as Batman, and I I I didn't I didn't hate it. I'm kind of okay with the idea of um, us taking I mean us, <laughs> the bigger us, uh, taking the Star Trek multiverse and, and and viewing it through a number of different lenses. I'm okay with that. I where where it starts to fall down for me is when we start deviating from the Star Trek ideals that we kind of have come uh to be immortalized in canon over the past, you know, 50 years. Things about, you know, examining uh, social issues and um trying to tackle them in a way that is better than what we do now. So when we start to move away from that, that I have an issue with, but I'm totally okay with 
taking the Star Trek mythos and viewing it through a Tarantino lens or, I don't know, anybody but M. Night Shyamalan, I'm cool with. What a <laughs> I'd twist. Like, and I'd like to see that little... <laughs> As episodes of Discovery continue to be to be released and we, we start to see this story unfold, um, and then we have these rumors of Tarantino and, and his team working on a script, the more I am afraid that... CBS and Paramount are going to make the same mistakes DC made with their universe, right? With the Batman, Superman, Justice League universe, where it's all just a bunch of multiverses. You don't know which one you're in at any given time. That causes fragmentation almost as badly as Google does on Android. <laughs> and I'm 100% okay with, with calling out the flaw in where that is. I... I it, it, it causes fragmentation. It creates a barrier to entry that should not be. That kind of drives me a little batty. And I hope that whoever takes on the mantle of Star Trek, that CBS and Paramount don't make that mistake because it causes a lot of fragmentation. And, and that's what I care. I think that's my most recent revelation and takeaway. In I'm all with this. you 100%. And I want to take you even one step further. And I, I would call the need to fragment lazy writing uh, and fear of standing on top of what's already been written. Uh, the, the directors or the writers want to pave their own way and not be bound by the intellectual property that's already established rather than trying to adhere to that and, like Kenna said, uh, tell a story through a different lens but still within the same universe. No, they want to blow all of that away and uh, start over. And it, Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm not that worried about CBS, I'll be honest with you, because I think when it comes to that particular aspect of storytelling, Star Trek Discovery has actually been fine, because it is firmly within the Prime Universe as we know it. Now, it's kind of slotted into a place where we're not sure how it fits within history, but there's no question about where it is in terms of which universe it's in. It's stylistically a little bit different, and of course, some of the ways that we place it in the Prime Universe actually happened outside of hard canon in the novels, that sort of thing. But, but we are, in fact, the writers have taken great care to make sure that we are in the prime universe. Now, the stark contrast to that is Paramount that let J.J. Abrams just, like you said, Skippy, just blow everything out of the water because they wanted to do their own thing. That I'm a little worried about. Um, so from, from that perspective, I'd be worried that Tarantino would, would start screwing around with all of that again and making it confusing. But I, I'm, I'm okay with CBS. I'm okay with CBS. I hope that Tarantino does the the theoretical story that that we shared a few episodes ago, where it kind of unites the the, the the timelines in some way, shape, or form. But we'll see. But captains, you know what? That leads us to a very good community question: Are you ready to see Captain Kirk return from the dead in a Tarantino-led Star Trek film? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash po. Three, five, two. So we mentioned Star Trek alumni there, but several Star Trek alumni have also been working on a not safe for work or kids parody movie titled Unbelievable that they also screened parts of last year during STLV. Well, it turns out now Snoop Dogg, the rapper Snoop Dogg, is joining the cast to play opposite Nichelle Nichols. According to Deadline.com, the film, quote, 
follows the crazy exploits of four offbeat astronauts who travel to the moon on a rescue mission to determine the fate of two space agency comrades who have not been heard from in several days, end quote. Now, this film is really offbeat with several Star Trek actors like Marina Sirtis, Chase Masterson, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Garrett Wong, just to name a few. Oh, and it includes a puppet. A puppet. Again, the film isn't really for kids, but if you're fascinated by what Star Trek alumni are up to these days, hashtag Trek Out, Unbelievable the Movie, on Facebook. Sounds like the not-yet-made sequel uh, to Galaxy Quest. No, 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 not even. It's so... Man, you have got to look this up, man. It's it. The puppet is... Um, oh, what's that? The, the, the South Park guys made this movie. Okay. Um, Team America World Police. Team oh. America, yeah, Team America. <laughs> the puppet... The puppet is made by the same people that made those puppets. It's it's a whole like that. Is that's a, gonna be wow. interesting. That sounds you gotta watch. Just watch the trailer. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, it's bonkers. It's absolutely it's bonkers. See, what worries me is that uh, Deadline had to actually say the words "crazy exploits" and "offbeat astronauts." This worries me because I would have liked a show don't tell kind of business. They have to explain that it's crazy. Probably means that it. it well, I don't know. Usually when people say, oh, it's going to be crazy, it's not so much. Wacky, inflatable, fine, fine, the tube men. Offbeat is not usually a, a good thing when describing a movie. <laughs> That's true. That means most people won't find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> Translated right. into Hollywood speak. No, but I mean, really, I haven't. I haven't seen a trailer. I haven't seen anything. It sounds bizarre. Um, I will probably check it out uh, just because of the lineup of people. But don't um, you mean trek it out? <laughs> I will. Yes, ah. I will. I'm sorry. I went well off done, brand Skiffy. there for a second. Reported by Forbes, it looks like Star Trek Discovery is making some serious waves in the world of on-demand television. According to Parrot Analytics, Discovery hit more than 53 million demand expressions, or, quote, the number of people talking about a show, end quote. According to Forbes, that's more than The Walking Dead and Stranger Things in the United States. Now, Captains, no matter your feelings on Discovery, this really is nothing but good news for the franchise. The more demand, the more subscriptions, the more talk, the more chatter, the more likely we are to see content coming down the pike. And don't forget, we'd be remiss if we didn't remind you that we do have an affiliate link over to CBS All Access on our website at Priority1Podcast.com. The banners are plastered all over the place. You can't miss them. And we do get a commission if you sign up through our website. So if you haven't already, we'd certainly appreciate you trying out Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access by using those links. It's at no additional cost to you, Captains. So I want to talk about this because um, I just, okay, first of all, maybe it's just because of what I already do on the internet and, you know, cookies and such, but I cannot go to any website without, like, tripping over four Discovery ads. They're still really, really pushing it, at least in, you know, my demographic, apparently. Um... And I wonder how much of that is driven by marketing. I would like to know a little bit more about these numbers, but it still is good and promising. But how much of that is also driven by Google knowing what you like, right? Because how how often than not do you go to Facebook and it's something you thought or said out loud in the ether and all of a sudden there's a Facebook ad about it and you wonder, oh my God, Big Brother's watching. I know what you're saying is how, what, what is the difference between 
how much advertising dollars putting into Star Trek Discovery, right? I would answer that with, uh, if they were smart, they budgeted the same amount of money they would for any other television show, but because they're doing less or no um, television advertising, the money goes a lot further because web advertising is cheap, really cheap. Yeah. And so they, yeah. they can stretch that <laughs> a lot further. I would also be interested to know whether this includes positive um, feedback or whether it's just the way it sounds is that it's just chatter. So it's exposure, but with no indication of whether it's good or bad. Um, I'd be interested to know, like, you know, how much of that is actually positive, how much of that is critical. Well, CBS All Access seems to be doing pretty well even though they're not giving us the exact numbers clearly they're doing something right i mean obviously if 53 million demand expressions are coming up just for from internet chatter alone which is more than than the walking dead or stranger things so what if it's bad or good yeah that's true it's in people's consciousness. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, even if people are talking bad things, they're still talking about it. It's, it means they're watching. Have you guys used your CBS All Access subscription to watch anything other than Discovery? <laughs> well, other Star Trek. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> do you want to exclude all of Star Trek? Because I've, I've done some research on some animated series episodes that I never saw. Uh, you know, things like yes, that. Yes, let, let's um, expand that to have you watched anything other than Trek. Uh, on, with your CBS um, subscriptions. I watched the clip of Hillary Clinton reading Fire and Fury at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Skiffy, because ju- I think it was, wasn't it last week or the week before I was saying I wish they would bring Carol Burnett onto CBS All mm-hmm. Access because Carol Burnett was a CBS produced series. Yeah. I would binge the Carol Burnett show. I would totally binge the, binge the Carol Burnett show. So your answer is no. How about you, Skippy? It's <laughs> no. That's my answer. That's my answer is the only reason I use CBS All Access, and I may switch over to Amazon Prime and that subscription just to be able to watch Discovery in that ecosystem, which we covered last week in episode 351 of Priority One Podcast. Plug. But ultimately, that's the issue with CBS All Access is uh, there's only a couple episodes left of Discovery. <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to lose subscribers left and right until the next season starts, which means this is the only thing carrying that platform. And I think we've known that for a while. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. If your fleet is already at Tier 5 in the Draenor Colony main track, or it's on its way, well, on the next holodeck patch, you can purchase the first time in these fleet holding projects a ship a tier 6 lucari Dranor scout ship this ship comes complete with a universal console reverberant quantum lock and its own starship mastery trait proto spill now the ship will set you back 20,000 fleet credits five fleet modules and one starbase military fleet ship provisioning your fleet also has to have tier 1 in the fleet shipyards at your starbase In addition to the console and the trait, as do all raiders and scout ships, this ship receives an automatic passive boost when striking an enemy from behind. And because their hull is generally low, you get higher turn rates for maneuverability. This ship also comes with a Lieutenant Commander Universal or Temporal Operative slot. 
whilst we're in between featured episodes, it's nice to remind ourselves that other Sto players, just like you and me, work hard to tell their own stories using the Foundry. This is the in-game development tool that gives players the ability to craft their own playable missions. This week, Star Trek Online gave a spotlight on the Foundry author NCC89471's The Hundredth, or Wa Vadikh, if you're playing on the Klingon side. It seems the mission plays heavily on the DS9 heartstrings with important lore from the series. Ambassador Kell writes, quote, the mission gives you tough battles in space, an interesting moral dilemma to face, and at least one major surprise. If you're a DS9 fan, I wouldn't miss it." End quote. To play this mission, open up your mission journal and select the Foundry tab. And if you want to dabble in mission creations yourself, try it by selecting Create Content in the Character Selection screen at the start of the game. And lastly, before we wrap up the news in Star Trek Online, here are some events that are on the calendar this week and specifically this weekend. For starters, the second week of rewards have started for the new featured episode, Scylla and Charybdis. It's time to face the Herc again. This time, you'll earn the Bajor Defense Deflector Array. The three-piece set named Range Modulation extends the range of the Plasmatic Retaliation Coronial Ejections and range of Energy Siphon Field. Also, specifically this weekend until Monday, February 5th, there's a Dilithium bonus weekend where you can earn up to 100% bonus on ore and rich Dilithium on places like Vlukta, Asteroid Field, the Fleet Mine, etc. And there's also a services sale for 20% off in the C Store. Things like character slots, bank slots, etc. Now, before we go and move into our interview with Star Trek Online's lead systems designer, we've got some other gaming news. A new Star Trek game has been released by Puppet Master Games and CBS Interactive. Available as a download for PC and macOS, the game is a virtual collectible card video game with over 50 ships, 140 crew members, and 24 collectible flagships to help build your decks. The game campaigns are both multiplayer and against the AI with ranked matches, draft play, and PvP. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. And Captains, if you're looking for a group of gamers to experience these with, consider joining us on Discord, a free application and platform that is designed for gamers to communicate between games. Links to our Discord server will, of course, be in the show notes. But that wraps it up for this week in Star Trek Online and other gaming news. Now, let's start our interview with Star Trek Online's lead systems designer, Jeremy. Bordic is cryptic, random. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access BIOS. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. This week, we're pleased to welcome back Star Trek Online's lead systems designer, Jeremy Randall. Jeremy, thanks for joining us, and, and happy anniversary for Star Trek Online. Woohoo! Yeah, happy to be back. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has. The last time we spoke to you was in uh, Vegas. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to get some amazing community questions from Reddit and Twitter and Facebook and the forums. So let's, let's go ahead and jump right in. And of course, the first thing we're going to focus on is the new re-engineering system that was introduced. So uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about the genesis of the actual system. You know, it, when, when crafting was first introduced, the, the ability to better select your modifiers was something 
that was heavily requested. I remember having the conversation with you, with our Vera. Well, to be frank, it was actually something that we wanted originally to try and fit into crafting from the get-go. Um, but our it just never really came together at that time. So, so it didn't come together at that time. Can you share with us some of the other potential iterations of the system that you might have brainstormed? Uh, and, and what made the team finally choose this version? Uh, boy, well, some of this is going to be a little bit difficult to talk about because we are still considering expansions or changes to the system. And I don't want to give away too much. Um, I don't want to end up promising anything, you know, um, because we are actually really happy with both the way that the system came to fruition uh, that, that everyone saw with the anniversary update, as well as the way that players have responded to it. It's been overall very positive, um, even as far back as when we first released it on Tribble. Uh, in a r- far more rough state. Um, it seems players really responded positively to this. Um, in terms of uh, how it evolved, um, really the current system that players are seeing it really... Um, hmm, how, to, how to phrase this? It came out almost wholesale. After crafting and the R&D system that is currently in STO as, as you know it, as players, after that was all pretty much uh, published and set, um, trying to get in the functionality of changing your mods was something we had to completely reimagine. Originally, it was thought to possibly be some sort of setting in a crafting recipe or something like that, maybe requires more materials or a special widget or whatnot. But um, at this point, we realize that the crafting system is complex enough. We don't need to add directly onto that. We would prefer to instead leverage something closer to the upgrade system, which is what we ended up doing. Uh, it even lives in the same UI widget as the uh, as the upgrade window. I want to talk a second and jump to to the fact that you mentioned the UI, uh, because a few players have mentioned and expressed some opinions about the flow, um, some concern that there's there's uh, almost a bit too much clicking. Now I know this isn't necessarily your department, but but how collaborative or or symbiotic is the relationship between systems design and UI? Uh, extremely. In fact, historically, up until, oh, I'd estimate maybe the past two years or so, historically the systems designers have been, um, for all intents and purposes, in charge of the UI design. Uh, and that is not the best idea, I'll be frank about that. <laughs> uh, having people that actually know how to build a user, a user interface and a user experience, um, that's way more um friendly both for us as designers because then we don't have to sweat about that stuff quite as much but also for the players because inevitably it just leads to a better experience um but uh just it's never going to be perfect obviously especially in a game this old because we have a lot of established um user facing communication that to depart from that actually causes enough dissonance to detract from what would otherwise be potentially a, a better experience um, because it's basically having it, um, it, it could mean having to teach players an entirely new way of interacting with a small portion of what uh, the rest of the game doesn't work like that. You know, those kind of concerns. I'm curious, how difficult was it to actually build this system, the re-engineering on the back end? Um, you know, like the whatever coding or you know, se- setting all of that up is was it difficult to put together? Just setting up the groundwork for what would become the capability of re-engineering different items was actually not all that difficult. A lot of this was already uh, established through 
changes that were made to the item database to support the upgrading of items, which rolled out before Delta Rising. Um, but that's only the very fundamentals of it. The actual work that had to be done to then take all of the items that had been built uh, since then and then essentially fix them so that they could be re-engineered, that was a monumental undertaking and one that obviously the fact that not all items can be re-engineered is testament to the fact of uh, despite spending months on this across the whole systems team to try and get as much out the door um, to meet player expectations and to manage player expectations as well uh, when the system launched um, despite all of that effort there's a huge swath of the game that still can't interact with the system and we do definitely plan to get to all of those eventually um, but it is it's a pretty monumental undertaking that will likely take much uh, much more effort and players that have been around since the upgrade system went live, again, just before like Delta Rising, um, might remember that we had similar growing pains with that as well. For a long time, there, was, there were huge numbers of items that couldn't be upgraded. Uh, some of those still exist today, and we're still cleaning those up. I have a feeling that the long-term tale of re-engineering is going to feel very similar to players that experience that. So we, you know, we did get several questions about, you know, these older sets, things like the Borg, the, you know, mm -hmm. the Nausicaan, weapons, items, things like that, that that are currently unavailable. But the the plan is, is that even those older items will have the opportunity to 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 go through their system. Yes. As well as um, we're kind of re-upping our efforts to make sure that all of those old items can also be upgraded. Um, this is what led to, for example, um, recently I posted on the forums that we're retiring a certain set of Andorian weapons that were on the fleet. Um, because in examining those, the ones that were on the fleet and the ones that were in the Dilithium store were effectively the exact same data under the hood except the ones that you bought from the fleet said fleet in the name. <laughs> that was literally the only difference between them. Um, so we decided to retire the ones from the fleet because having a fleet variant was unnecessary and made the other ones able to interact with the upgrade system and the re-engineering system. I, actually, as I think about it now, I'm not certain that those changes have gone live, but they're definitely ready for it. So the, and the Andorians stay, but the fleet ones go? Correct. So the ones you can get from the Dilithium store will be able to... They couldn't previously be upgraded, and now they can. Which means you don't need to buy the ultra rares from the fleet. You can just take the purples and make them ultra rares, right? And cool. customize your mods and everything. Yeah. But that sort of thing is, uh, yeah, it's going to be an ongoing effort. And we've got internal lists that are prioritized. You know, it's not set in stone, but we know what the hot button items are. And the players aren't shy about letting us know <laughs> which, which, uh, which ones they want first. And we're going to do our best to try and live up to those expectations. But as I said, this is a this is going to have a long tail, and it's going to take some time before the the whole game is able to interact. But that is ultimately our goal. In the end, we want every item that you uh, every item that you can equip that has mods listed on it to be able to uh, interact with the reengineering system. So we have a question via Reddit here from Leopard in the Mist, and he asks, in what ways could the re-engineering system be expanded upon? Could you introduce consumables that modify the re-roll odds or introduce new modifier options in the re-roll? Yes, next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, we are still looking at ways that we can uh, potentially expand upon the system or improve it, and uh, this is not a, a thing that we kind of that we consider one and done in any way. And uh, this is 
another thing that we keep examining. As we introduce more and more uh, items that can be introduced into the reengineering system, you know, it's it's on our minds, and we keep thinking about other ways that. Uh, these are a couple examples that I'm sure have come up in some conversations. The one Leopard uh, mentions, but you know, there's all sorts of things. Being able to pick your own mod, uh, being able to add a sixth or seventh mod or whatever. I'm not saying these are good ideas, right? But they are things that have been discussed. In fact, some of those are pretty awful ideas, to be honest. But <laughs> But as far as what the system could do, uh, yeah, these are not entirely off the table. So what's on what's on your whiteboard? Like what is it? You know, you see the system as it is now, live to the public, and you see a lot of these. You know, without giving away what the future holds for the system, um, what's something that you see now that you would like to see? You know, x amount of months down the road. Um, the biggest thing on the whiteboard right now is just a prioritization of some of the top button items. And I'd, I'd rather not mention them by name because some of them have are problematic enough that we're not certain we can solve it in the short term. Um, but we know the ones that people are talking about and the ones that we're talking about, the ones that we play with and we want to have fixed. Um, so those, those are the top priorities right now is just getting more important, um, you might say premium items, uh, able to interact with the system. Um, outside of that, in terms of like just expanding the system, um, I wouldn't say that that's something we're ready to talk about. The main thing that I'm focused on in that regard is uh, trying to gather analytics as far as how players are engaging with the system. Um, in terms of how many times they reroll items, uh, what types of items they reroll, um, what types of mods they uh, get rid of, and which ones they adopt. Um, the reengineering system also offers a, offers us an opportunity, and I won't say that we're going to be able to leap on it immediately, but it does offer us the opportunity to revisit uh, mod balance on different sets of items, uh, because now that you can switch them as a player, um, it's not quite as much of a concern to us as to changing those. Uh, it couldn't as easily be interpreted as taking things away, you know, that that sort of stuff. I'm sorry. Can you go into a, a little bit more in terms of mod balancing and, and and like for example, for a new player, what what that might be? Oh, sure. Uh, just as as a brief example, we know that most of our high end players like to consider uh, crit H and crit D to be like those are the go tos. Those are the absolute best weapon mods in in almost everybody's opinion. Um, there are a few other chains of thought that think the damage is right up there as well, but um, pretty universally across the board. Accuracy is considered a pretty not okay mod for weapons anyway, and so that's a the reengineering system does offer us the potential for an opportunity to revisit um, outliers such as such as accuracy. But there's there's mods on every type of item that falls in the same bucket, um, and yeah, this this gives us the the chance if we have the time to take it uh, to see if there's anything that we can do to improve that. So, several players believe they've moved along so far since the introduction of crafting that they'd rather just have more salvage than the additional crafting materials. Can you explain why materials were included when breaking down unwanted items? Oh, uh, from salvage, how you get crafting materials. Um, mainly just so that, uh, to try and encourage people to take the route of crafting things, salvaging them, crafting more, salvage that, craft it more, salvage that. Um, without it feeling like such a complete loss that it didn't feel um, uh, efficient enough. Um, honestly, part of the introduction of the salvage and the salvage numeric that interacts with reengineering was to hopefully help us um, smooth out and, and drain some of the glut of both items and crafting materials out of players' inventories, off the exchange, everywhere. 
because up up until now there's been almost no real sync for those types of things and so introducing another option to change it into something that you can use in a new system uh, that was just an opportunity we couldn't pass up um, but it was found from personal experience that re-engineering things or I'm sorry salvaging items without getting anything back except salvage felt a little bad and so we decided that the reintroduction of getting a, a portion of the materials back um, alleviated some of that bad feeling. Right. We talked a little bit about sometimes there's a concern when a new quote-unquote currency is introduced to the game, or how difficult would it have possibly been to try to put an EC credit or EC value to various items uh, in the game in order to then uh, apply to the to the to the reengineering system. Was that sort of the mentality as to why not to just use one of the existing currencies? Well, one of the opportunities that re-engineering introduced for us as de designers that have to worry about the game-wide economy is that, uh, as I said, it offered us an opportunity to introduce new sinks. And if we, if we pursued a system that didn't have a new numeric, it meant that we wouldn't be as effectively sinking different things out of it, uh, out of the economy, out of the game as a whole. Um, the fact that salvage is character-bound, non-tradable, uh, is this thing that once you have it, it's only used for one thing, um, really helps us funnel the sinks in a way that uh, is hopefully um, improving our game economy. I, you know, I've done a little bit of an examination of the uh, energy credits, uh, exchanges, and I, I haven't gotten around to crafting materials yet as far as the analytics side of things. And so far, I'm, I'm honestly really liking what I see as far as the impact that re-engineering is having on the live game economy. It's it's performing pretty much as expected in, in all of these regards. And I do understand the hesitation of seeing a new, uh, a new numeric, a new um, uh, currency, and, oh, God, another one that I have to take care of, hoping that since it's um, only used for this and can't be traded and can only be generated if you're destroying things, it shouldn't be something you really have to worry about too much. But, you know, just to, to kind of um, turn the question back... Uh, your way, just as a rhetorical, you know, can you imagine what might happen if we change this into a GPL cost? How uncontrolled that could be? Um, and that's those are the same sorts of considerations that, that we have to make when trying to determine if we can use an existing numeric or if we have to make a new, a new one or take one that already exists and kind of change it somehow. Uh, ultimately, salvage. I'm I'm really liking the the results that we've seen from this this particular new numeric. But, again, just to answer the uh, concerns of some of the players out there, I hear you. Um, we don't want to just add something that has no purpose and is just another thing to save. Um, this was introduced with purpose, and it's, it's doing its job. So this kind of dovetails into uh, what, what we had put in, the, in our list of questions here is something as other. Um, but a lot of one of the other concerns with players is, my bank is getting full. Can we get inventory <laughs> tabs or things like that? Uh, is this something that falls under systems? Is it a, is it a, a UI? Is it a combination? Obviously, it's a combination of things. Uh, but what are the thoughts in, in trying to help players better organize between pets and crafting materials and, and now salvage and, and, and et cetera? It's an ongoing concern, and it's one that I hear. You know, I, I still play a lot, and I, my bank and my bags are constantly filled. 
and remember, I work here, so I get slots for free, which means <laughs> I, I don't even have to feel half the pain, and it's still a bother. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I hear you, and it's something that we do keep looking into. There, I actually went into some depth on this topic on a, a forum post um, not too long ago, uh, talking about the addition of a pet tab as well as expanding the R&D tab. Um, one of the concerns that we as designers and as our software engineers have to constantly be keeping an eye on is that our uh, our character containers, like the amount of data that we store for an individual character, not even a whole account, just one character, is, I, I can't overstate it, it's enormous. Compared to any of the other cryptic games, it's not even close uh, in comparison. The amount of data that we're saving between you and your bank and your mailbox and your exchange and, and your inventory, and then there's your ship and all of your ships that you have and all the equipment that they have and all of your bridge officers and all the equipment that they have and then all your duty officers and I could go on and on this the 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 database footprint is enormous to the point where even the tiny amount of inf uh, item information that we added with the re-engineering system was still a market concern that we had to make sure that we could we could handle that that the the amount of uh, information that we were adding to every item in the game when multiplied by the number of items that a single character stores, and then multiplied by the number of uh, those characters that can be on a single map, um, wasn't going to break the bank, you know? So whenever we talk about expanding the inventory or improving the inventory, we have to do so very carefully to ensure that we're not um, Robin Peter to save Paul. You know, if we give you the things that make the gameplay experience easier, but we do so in a way that causes our server performance to take a hit, it's probably not worth it for us or the players. I remember having a conversation like this, uh, if it wasn't with you, it was also with Aravera about the, the, that, that footprint that just one character has on, mm -hmm. on the servers and on the database. And, and I guess like an you know, the, the, the best analogy would be a, an Excel workbook with 400 worksheets just for one character, right? Like imagine yeah. something like that. Um, it's easy to forget how much stuff you as a character are carrying around especially including the stuff you don't see all the time all of your all of your progress you know it it's just it really stacks up <laughs> that having been said and i did mention in this thread that the idea of a vanity pet uh inventory solution is something that is a hot button topic on the team internally um we don't have any solid plans but all of us kind of want to do it as soon as we can find the time to do it and do it in a way that won't uh cause us any database issues so, you, Star Trek Online is now eight years old, right? And technology certainly yeah. isn't what it was eight years ago. Um, so, does does a lot of this become remedied as technologies in, improve, as servers improve, and capacities and processing power improve? Where, where, let's say Star Trek Online gets you know into its fifteenth year, and we certainly hope it does, that the database weight won't be a problem. I wouldn't say that it, I don't think it'll ever not be a problem, but yeah. uh, our hopes, we have done many passes in, in the past that have helped to optimize our database or have helped to optimize the way that character containers are loaded or uh, streaming data instead of just, you know, dumping it all in at once. All that sort of stuff has happened many times over the, over the course of STO. Um, but we usually, not always, but we usually take that opportunity to give away more space when we think that we can, um, when we think we can spare it. 
I remember multiple times in the not too recent past where we've raised limits on uh, your inventory slots or your bank slots or um, introducing a whole new bag like for R&D. Um, we, we try to give ourselves enough leeway so that we can do new features like uh, adding a crafting bag or something of that nature. But frequently when we go through an optimization pass, if the, if a new piece of tech comes out that makes us worry less about the size of our containers, we usually exploit that by giving away more. That question got super deep. I got really technical for some reason. So, but, you know, whatever, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for I answering. That That's you're thinking about 15 years later. Yeah, yeah, of That's course. Great. Of course, man. Of course. So, Okami Moon asks, is the re-engineering coming to console before the anniversary event is, or is it planned to be all at once? I don't actually know the solid answer to that. I think it's going to be all packaged right. together just like it was on PC. I'm fairly certain about that. Okay. Um, but I... I'm not actually sure when. I know that we've been saying soon, and I have to trust ourselves <laughs> on that. Um, but I don't know. You know, sometimes the certification process of going through from taking the PC build and then and then fixing bugs and then sending that through the pipe through um, Sony and, and Microsoft that can that can take more time or less time depending on what other stuff is going on in the gaming industry. So maybe that's why we're not committing, but I do know that we're aiming for soon. In fact, I think I can even quote our ambassador, Kale, our our, uh, community manager is saying sooner than you think. So before we get into talking about other systems designing questions for Star Trek online, is there anything about the re-engineering system that, that you've noticed has gone under the radar or any questions that you might have seen pop up on the forums, whether it was through our community post or not, that you'd like to address to players? I I think the biggest thing that I'd like to address is just to send a thank you to everybody that has been um, just, there's been so much positive energy about this. And even the complaints that come in on the system are usually along the nature of, I want to use the system more, make my items work with it. Um, so that even that, I, I, maybe I'm just <laughs> too much of an optimist, but that sounds positive to me. Um, <laughs> And so I just think I'd like to thank everybody for being open-minded about how we chose to implement this feature that I know everybody has, has been asking for for quite some time. And um, w- just to request further patience. like Keep telling us about the items that you want um, re-engineerable. Re-engineer, is that a word? It is now. <laughs> um, because, as I said, there's a bunch of items listed on our on our whiteboards and, and in Excel spreadsheets at work. And uh, the more we hear about certain ones, it might shift priorities, might move things up. You never know. And where's the best place that uh, players can voice those uh, those votes? I think the uh, the official forums are always going to be the best place. But I know that some players don't enjoy going there. Um, wherever is your preferred method of, of speaking with us through our community outlets, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or our official forums, um, we have people that are interested in looking at, at what players are saying on all of those. I would encourage you to use the official forums as a primary, but any of the others are also good. If I, I don't want to tell anybody not to talk to us. All right, so let's jump into some uh, other questions, things that are not necessarily related to the uh, re-engineering system. EPH289 via Reddit asked, what are your thoughts around separating ground and space specializations, like how traits are set? Strategist commando are very useful, but manually switching them is a chore. It's not off the table, but um, that kind of implies that we want to continue releasing uh, region-specific specializations, which is flat out not true. Um, we would prefer that all, all of our future specializations be region neutral or uh, agnostic. 
uh, usable in both in some capacity or all capacities. Um, so the the idea of creating a, a region separation it, it doesn't serve our future design goals as designers. Uh, I I do hear about the um, specifically switching between strategist and commander because strategist strategist I never know how to say that uh, <laughs> is space only and commando is ground only. Um, I don't know the allowing builds separation for specs for ground and space is not the answer that we want to pursue but um, maybe we can find some other clever solution that can help out in that regard I don't um, I don't like it either um, but I, I'm not I, I haven't given enough thought honestly to think of a, a better way to do it right now so via Redis, uh, H204DP asks, any thoughts on improving the proc rate on weapons from the standard 2.5% to something more reasonable like 5%? Well, I, I, don't, uh, I don't agree with the word, use of the word reasonable in that because um, we did experiment with this at, at one point, only internally. And I think this might actually be the first time that we've ever talked about it. Um, we tried setting internal proc rates to uh, 3 and then 3.5 and then four to see uh, where was a sweet spot and turns out there's not really one like two and a half percent kind of is um, if I remember those testing uh, passes correctly like we found like we were okay with about a two and a 2.8 but why even make the change at that point um, the bottom line is that the design of STO of Star Trek Online and weapons in particular which is the only things that really proc for the most part, um, has never been built around the idea of those procs being a primary mechanic of of combat, of, of anything. They've always been intended to be more of a, a flavor aspect, not something you build around, not something that you uh, seek out and and uh, and build an entire ship or, or skill loadout or spec build around. They're more of a secondary concern. Yeah, it's more of the kind of thing that you would maybe seek out a particular proc because the, the build that you already built that does this other thing could possibly benefit or, or this flavor fits and you like that um, so increasing proc rates is probably not in the cards unless we also took the time to decrease the proc effectiveness which nobody really wants they're already kind of a throwaway to be honest uh, for the most part maybe not true with all the lockbox weapons and everything like that but uh, that is actually where the, the problem lies is uh, some of those uh, lockbox procs and another like a uh, rep procs on a few weapons and stuff like that if we increase the proc rate much past the two and a half percent mark it starts to become uh, an even bigger balance concern um, right now it's such an edge case issue or just bad enough that we're willing to accept it <laughs> Uh, because you got to remember that every, especially in space, where you can be firing up to eight weapons of a single type per second faster if you're running uh, abilities that increase your cycling rates and everything like that. Um, that even that two and a half percent on a large enough sample size does add up. So speaking about things like procs and 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 weapons, uh, Nukara on Reddit had several questions regarding uh, some of the new weapons and features that came out with the Discovery lockbox. Um, oh, okay. First up was, what kind of torpedo do the ships that appear with the Black Alert trait use? I feel like this is the first question in a whole series of questions. Oh, it is. To, <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> Min-max the output of a certain console. 
uh, and or starship trait. Um, so let me kind of skip ahead, possibly. Um, they're photons, but don't bother. <laughs> uh, okay, what do you mean? What do you mean, don't bother? The, uh, uh, I, I have a feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, uh, uh, that Nukar is trying to ask how to get the most performance out of these things. Like, can you boost them with certain, for example, photon consoles and things like that? Uh, and the answer would be no. You can you can boost them with anything that is a generic, like unrestricted damage boost. Uh, something like I believe that's a, a facet of attack pattern alpha off the top of my head. Um, that will work because the the ships that you summon using Black Alert are part are an extension of you, so it's still you own the damage. Anything that increases all damage unrestrictively will buff things like Black Alert, um, but they aren't technically weapons. So you can't get uh, bonuses, or you shouldn't, I hope you don't, <laughs> get bonuses out of things like a set bonus that improves photon torpedo damage. Um, it is our intent that those wouldn't impact the weapons used by a, uh, a duplicate summoned by Black Alert. Way to read if, ahead. Effectively, <laughs> effectively if, if it's not a weapon that you yourself have equipped, we don't really want to encourage you to try to gear out to try and boost it as a weapon. We would prefer for players to think of those more as abilities uh, and gear out according to, to those restrictions. How fun was it working on these Discovery... Uh... It was so good. It yeah. was so good. <laughs> and, you know, I, I often work in kind of this uh, black box territory where I'm just making things randomly do stuff without actually seeing how the end effects are going to look. Um, because it's usually it just in our, our typical workflow that uh, myself or, or whatever designer is making abilities like this uh, it just works with placeholder effects pulled from other existing powers and stuff like that. And then they just kind of hand off the request to the artists and say, try to meet my vision. Good luck. <laughs> and then two to three months later, they come back and say, is, is this good? And it's almost always Oh yeah! <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, nice. But this one in particular was, was so good. Our our guys, our effects artists, and uh, they just really nailed the look of the show. Uh, having really good, uh, really great visual reference like that, like we have from from Star Trek Discovery, was really obviously very helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, but our guys did such a good job at matching it up. I'm so excited about it. It all came <laughs> together just wonderfully. Nice. So Phantom asks via Twitter, updates to reputation, fleet, or duty officer system? Uh, how about... Sure. Next question. <laughs> 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 All right, well how, about, well, how about this question? Is there a sort of priority? And again, not a timetable priority, but is there a, is there a priority to which of these systems you and the team would like to tackle first or last well uh let me answer that in a different way and that is to tell you of some of the problems of each of them that we've identified at least problems from our point of view um so uh i think i saw in one of the other threads that i was looking through before we started the interviewing so somebody was asking something about hey we haven't seen new doffs in a while why is that and that kind of dovetails into this, is that as we've started to examine the design of the duty officer system, we as, as developers have started to uh, come to acknowledge and, and understand more of the problems that are present in the system. Problems which were made even more obvious by our introduction of the Admiralty um, uh, system. Um, because we, honestly, we, 
I did design the Admiralty system to be, well, what if DOFs were even better um, and used chips? And that was, that's the elevator pitch. Um, so going back to duty officers, there's so many things about it that we just, um, that make it really hard to develop for, to be frank. Um, I don't know how much detail I can go into, but uh, it, it, just as a point of comparison, making a set of duty officers, like for a lockbox, for example, uh, let's say we're going to make uh, 12 unique duty officers. Well, when we do that kind of thing for a lockbox, we also give them almost always 12 unique active roster powers. 12, 12 uh, active roster powers of that type is almost the exact same amount of work that could go into a secondary specialization which is far more better received by players, adds a lot more longevity to the progression of the game, um, and everybody gets to participate in it instead of being something that is relegated to a small subset of players caring about it. Um, and then the fact that each of those duty officers, is, in addition to the active roster power, would need a, a set of traits that need to be gone through, a set of specializations that need to be gone through. Maybe we have to figure out whether or not they have R&D specs, uh, and then we have to figure out their species, and sometimes create new name generations, and then there's all the art requirements that go with all of that. All of that. Um, it's just a real big investment that is not always worth it. And as we have introduced new systems like Admiralty, like uh, like reengineering, like um, like a, a whole myriad of other things, DOF investment has uh, doesn't pay off for us as much anymore, and it doesn't pay off for players as much anymore. To be frank, uh, duty officers are just not as uh, sexy of a feature as a new set of weapons or or a number of other things that we just know more players would love. Now, th this may sound um, like a rhetorical question, but um, the, the duty officer system isn't a system that would be retired. Like, it's not something that you will suddenly say, oh, no more, and we're pulling it out. That's incredibly unlikely. Um, but as I think it should be obvious to note that if we're, if we're sitting around talking about the problems of something, we're also going to find the motivation to want to improve that. We're not just going to sit here and say, well, that's a problem. Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, so that's just one of them. Uh, reputations, I can point out at least one problem that we have is that we originally designed the, 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 the system, the reputation system as a whole, to be uh, what we call horizontally scalable. And the concept there at the beginning was that we can introduce new reputations using the, uh, using the existing, existing tropes and, and frameworks that we did for previous reputations, and it's just, you know, slot in a new one. More, more expansion, more items, more stuff, more, th more things to do. Well, now that we're up to, boy, 11 uh, reputations, we're beginning to realize and get face-to-face -face with the notion that uh, you can only horizontally scale that particular system so far before it starts to become a, a little untenable. And so we are discussing how do we approach that problem. Um, I don't think that we're even anywhere even close to having a, an actionable solution or even an improvement or anything but it's something that at least internally we've identified as a hmm, this could be better and that kind of dovetails to even things like cues and whatnot i would imagine yeah, right? yeah. That that's an additional thing we have to keep in mind with reputations uh, the horizontal scalability of the system itself also was intended to serve the continued introduction of new gameplay through new cues um, but that also isn't entirely working as we want by the by evidence by the fact that you know we put out a new set of cues to support a new reputation but as soon as people finish that reputation those new cues very frequently just get abandoned uh, and part of that's also you know 
part of a bigger issue that we have like I don't know 7,000 queues uh, that people have to choose from to play so uh, it all there is no isolated fix this one problem sort of thing you have to everything is pebbles in a pond and you need to see where those ripples go and fleece no they're perfect next well no I got because if you're not going to talk about fleet I go to talk about fleets <laughs> Uh, well, part of part of it is the same sort of problem. The horizontal scalability that we introduced there was new holdings. Um, but how many new holdings can you have before that becomes the same problem that we're faced with having 11 reputations? Well, probably not that many more if we're not there already. And y you, you may have noticed that with the colony, we did some experimentation to see what sort of directions maybe we could flex the designs to rejuvenate it in some way um, to mixed results. Uh, the thing I think that we loved the most as far as an experimentation that we think paid off was the uh, invasion ga gameplay. The activities, you can actually do something on these fleet holdings. Um, that that was great. We saw that to a lesser degree on the um, the Dilithium mine, where you can actually do something on the map. You can go out and hit rocks. Right, it's, yeah. It's not exactly compelling gameplay, but it's something. <laughs> and so whenever we do something like this, we, we always try to push at least one boundary, do some experimentation to to see how players respond to certain things and, and what sort of things we should do more of or just forget about altogether. The fleet system also has... Um, we know there's a number of usability feature uh, usability issues, especially on console with armadas and uh, UI work that could be could stand to be improved. Um, fleets are are difficult to work with though because we uh, we've come to understand that giving players a social structure like a fleet uh, and something that they can do as uh, a group of players, even if they don't talk. Uh, is is hugely beneficial not only to their gameplay, especially if we reward, we reward them for it, but also to our overall retention and the longevity of how long a player keeps playing this game. If they have a social structure, it in, it inevitably extends their lifetime uh, within the game, which is good for them, I hope, because then they're enjoying continue playing, and it's really great for us. Are you guys? Uh, is is it something that? Um potentially has come up like around the office with the the actual daily costs in particular with duty officers and uh, lithium is this something that you know you've you've talked about and say like, okay it's getting a bit much now we might need to do something to address it or do you guys think it's fine the way it is and you know it doesn't need any work uh, sorry are you specifically talking about fleet projects yeah exactly um most part those are in a place where we like and i i know that's going to upset some people but those price tags are pretty high because we intend for them to be invested by 20 to 25 players like if you're out there in a guild that's got fewer than than 20 active donating members we expect you to ex experience some some pain some hardship filling those buckets that's not outside of our original designs um in examining the the ways that players play with fleets the number of players on average and how they donate and everything like that for for the time being we feel like those numbers are in the right place and i i i totally sympathize with the people in less active fleets like we are we have our own fleet that's made almost exclusively of cryptic developers um and we're not a very big company so you can imagine how many of us are actually active in the fleet and it is painful we're like on tier two of our spire still like we're we're struggling but as far as the design that's expected. 
Now, whether or not that remains the case over the long term of the game, especially, I mean, we're eight years old and it's a normality. It's a kind of expectation of an MMO that's this old that eventually we're probably going to start diminishing our overall population. I hope not, but it's kind of an inevitable um, aspect of a long-term MMO. And as populations decrease, the number of active people within a fleet will, uh, fleet will decrease. And then it's entirely possible, probable, I'd even say, that we'll re-examine those numbers at that time. How dare you say such a thing? Star Trek <laughs> Online will always have... You know what? I'm writing a letter to somebody. <laughs> they will always have billions of players. Elijah, I hope with all my heart that you are right. <laughs> <laughs> Eight years is no joke, though. I mean, for any MMO no, in the industry. It's quite I mean, an achievement. Ooh, I mean... And it's longer than any Star Trek series. That's so true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, store is where I'm getting my uh, Star Trek fix from because I'm not particularly fond of Discovery. And what did you think of the anniversary episode? You got to play it yet? Oh, yes. Yeah, very good. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. I I, I didn't get to work on it myself, but um, yeah, I think the, the folks that, that put that together really exceeded my expectations. The not so much for Elijah. No, I so um, I think that my biggest takeaway is is that I I guess I'm comparing it to to previous featured episodes, um, and I mean you guys have really blown, I mean pushed the, the the game to its limits. I guess I was expecting a little more for the anniversary. I'll be honest. Um, you know, we had the voiceover from from uh, JG Hertzler and and of course Lavar Burton and and Michelle Specht. I kind of wanted an episode. Like, I, I kind of wanted an episode that we've experienced in the past, almost to cinematic scale, um, especially for this eighth, eighth anniversary. We, we pushed but, the bar up too high. <laughs> yeah, you did. You guys have. You guys have. Is that you've, you, you know, you've, okay. you've made we'll, some. We'll just continue to fall short of your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You keep doing that, and you'll see those numbers. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, totally that's good. Kidding. <laughs> You know, so we've got we've got one more question uh, from one of our Patreon supporters, uh, Star Kicker, and they tweeted to us um, that they might have. I think it was being cheeky here, but was there a re-engineering weekend thing happening at some point? Oh, I hope not. No, we're. I think our plan right now, and this hasn't been implemented or finalized or anything, but I think our plan is to find a way to incorporate re-engineering into R and D weekends that already exist. Oh, I don't think that's that we cool. really need an, another weekend event, especially for something that's kind of relatively narrow. Um, so I think we're going to look into rolling some sort of re-engineering bonus into R and D weekends in the future. I can't even say that that'll be the next time we do it, but at some point in the future. So, uh, the, you know, I'll, uh, actually, I said that was the last question, and I lied. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask this one from Phantom because, um, you know, I think one of the, 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 one of the big ticket systems that was last released was, of course, crafting. And I remember, you know, again, I mentioned earlier having the discussion with you and with our Vera about how modifying mods was something that you had wanted to either release with it or was immediately in the works as something that was that was short on the pipe. Um, Phantom wants to know if there's anything else. Is there a new system that you're currently working on or something in the game that you're just kind of really excited about introducing that you uh, can maybe yes. hint on? Uh, let, let me think about this a minute. Um, so, you know, we just finished our anniversary uh, update, which was pretty beefy. Um, I don't doubt that you guys have been hearing uh, this, uh, this little phrase 
whispered in the corners in the Stowe community uh, of victory is life, whatever that might mean. Um, we're not talking about it yet, but whatever that is, is really cool. And I'm already, uh, our teams are working on whatever that is uh, and really excited to start being able to speak about it in the near future, but not yet, sadly. Um, I'll just have to come back on the show at some point. Sounds like a plan, sir. Sounds like a plan. Well, Jeremy, we're so very grateful that you've spent uh, your evening with us here and uh, to answer questions about re-engineering and, and the future of Star Trek Online. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that uh, that, that you were kind of excited to, to come on and, and share with the community? The biggest feature that I was intrinsically a part of with this anniversary update was the, the ships in the Discovery lockbox. I just want to say that I don't think the sarcophagus is getting the love that it deserves. And maybe that's because it's uh, you know Klingons and there's not enough players on that side, on the red side, but I don't know. That ship is unbelievable and um, pushed a lot of technical limitations, uh, required us to come up with uh, ways to deal with a ship that has that high of a poly count, for example, and, and fixing the ways that materials lay on it and everything. It's just, it's a fantastic piece of work. And I'm I'm kind of sad that it doesn't get talked about as much as it, I, I think that it should. You know how uh, you're going to fix that? Is uh, by let, one faction to rule them all. Yeah, <laughs> the super <laughs> faction. Um uh, if players don't know, there's a vanity lockbox uh, or a vanity shield in the lockbox, and if Klingons use that, they get the sarcophagus material on any ship. Oh, with nice! All that, with all that incredible like Baroque period scroll work and everything. Wow! Uh, you gotta check that out. It's super cool. Nice. It. Well, again, Jeremy, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode, and we hope to have you on again soon to talk about the next greatest system coming to Star Trek Online. On screen. And although you can keep the story going in Star Trek Online, it's time to find out what's happening on screen in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. Episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery is What's Past is Prologue. We start the episode with Lorca assembling his old crew, rescuing them from the agonizers in which they've spent nearly two years. With his old pal Landry back at his side, his first stop is to find Mir Stamets and demand his help in overthrowing the Emperor. They begin an assault on the palace ship from the inside until Emperor Giorgio is forced into a confrontation. Needless to say, it does not go well and Giorgio is forced into hiding with a fancy bracelet. Burnham, who escaped from Giorgio's forces to go after Lorca herself, instead seeks out the now defeated Giorgio and proposes an alliance. Together, they give themselves up to Lorca, knowing that discovery is on its way, with a plan. Burnham will lower the containment field around the mycelial orb at the center of the Chiron, and Discovery will destroy it, disabling the ship and stopping the damage to the mycelial network. When Lorca hails the Discovery and gives Burnham the chance to tell them that she's exactly where she needs to be, Saru knows it's time. When Discovery warps in, they open fire on the Chiron. In the distraction, Giorgio and Burnham fight side by side against Lorca's men, eventually leaving only Lorca himself. He pleads with Burnham, but it's too late. Mirror Giorgio runs him through from the back with her sword. As the rest of Lorca's men assault the bridge, and as Discovery continues to fire on the Chiron, Giorgio's last honorable deed is to provide a distraction for Burnham to escape via transporter. But at the last minute, Burnham grabs Giorgio and they transport to safety together. 
Discovery has destroyed the mycelial orb, and they ride the resulting shockwave all the way back to the Prime Universe, except they're too late. They overshot by nine months, and without the key to the cloaking device, which they took with them to the Mirror Universe, the Klingons have all but won the war. It will be up to Discovery to put it right. The end. So, there's so much happened in this episode. Yeah. I mean, even trying to summarize it is difficult because, for instance, Mirror Stamets also dies, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I realized in watching this episode, Star Trek Discovery was written to be binge-worthy. Because in the last two episodes, for instance, we are introduced to Mirror Stamets. Mm-hmm. And you start to think, okay, well, we want to start seeing these characters develop. Yep. What is the relationship going to be between Mirror Stamets and Prime Universe Stamets? And then all of a sudden in this episode, none, because he gets killed. If I had the opportunity to sit down with the writers and ask them, when you started writing this, were you writing this with the impression that it was one long story as if though it were to be a movie, right? One long story, one long movie, one long binge like you would on Netflix or whatnot? Or were you writing thinking this is going to be week to week? I had the same question. In fact, this this episode was the one where I started going, man, you know, I wish that Discovery, that this season of Discovery had been a film. I wish that we knew these characters already so we can skip a lot of the getting to know you kind of bits at the beginning and just skipped right to the film, the cinematic part of it. Because I think as a, as a film type story, it's really great. But it's not quite hitting it for me now as a series. It's not. It's not because these weekly episodes make you invest in someone like Amira Stamets, right? They make you invest in these characters. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the following week, there's this massive change. What feels like a jarring change. You're not even talking about Lorca yet. No, I'm not even talking about Lorca yet. Lorca, we've spent the entire series getting to know him at the end of the last episode. And here he goes. And then he's dead. He gets kicked out the moon door. Like Like a flash in the pan. He had three scenes in this episode, basically. And then Mira Lorca was gone. And I was like, we've built up all of this stuff. I wanted to see him. Like, I viscerally wanted to see him straight up being evil because they've been playing with it. Right. And then they just killed him. Right, right. Especially the last three or four episodes. Actually, since the mid-season premiere, I feel could have been stories that took us several seasons because of the way that they were written. Now, it's not to say that it's necessarily bad writing, but here we go with the trope that Star Trek needs to find its footing in the first season or the first second season or the third season. Is Star Trek Discovery going to be The Walking Dead in terms of week-to-week storytelling where things are, in fact, drawn out, plot points take three or four episodes to resolve? Or is it going to be a binge series where you sit down on a weekend and consume all these episodes? I feel Lorca is a great example of that, like you mentioned, is that we had all this buildup. You know, Jason Isaacs gave such a wonderful performance on Lorca. Was he evil? Was he the necessary evil for the Federation? And then Hans Gruber into the mycelial orb. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yes, that is an accurate description of what happened, yes. 
I think the answer yeah. to your question, Elijah, is, is pretty self-evident. Is we are getting it in episodic releases because we're watching it, quote unquote, live. You know, as as it's being released. But once it's out there, it's out there. And binge series have proven themselves to do extremely well among the, mm. the demographic that's going to watch series online. And so that's what they're giving us. In response to Lorca, do... But they're not, though. It's a binge story, but we have to wait week to week. And then what ends up happening is that there's this triage that happens between Sundays from the writers. Yeah. Because the writers know themselves, I would assume or presume or I don't know, that this is a story that was written in the mindset of we're going to release this in one shot. People are going to binge this. They're going to absorb this. I can't wait for August, right, or September mm -hmm. because I'm going to binge the entire series. Yeah. And I think I'm going to have a much different experience than I have had going week to week. And I think that's what they're banking on. So we're talking about a film that has a limited release and kills it in DVD sales. <laughs> Sorry, I'm showing my age there. Uh, I might as well have said VHS sales. Um, <laughs> but um, maybe that's what they're banking on is that they don't really care as long as it's good enough in week to week release, but it's going to sit on CBS All Access in its bingeable format and they're going to get, it's going to be like a cash cow that will sit there and you can binge it over and over and over again. Maybe that's what they're banking on. I think Tony hit it sort of on the head last week where he was describing the difference between The Walking Dead and Discovery, where basically he said that in The Walking Dead you can trust that what just happened actually happened. Whereas in Discovery they keep twisting and turning and you're questioning, did that happen? Did it not happen? What's going to happen next? And I think it's losing something for those of us who are watching it week to week. I think it's a short-term problem for a long-term gain. Because the, the entire world of television is changing and has changed. And that is that shows used to have a half-life of they air, people watch them live, they may DVR them, uh, and then they just kind of go into oblivion. That's not the case anymore. Netflix has changed that, and CBS All Access is changing that. And so shows live on forever in a database that you can pull them up at any time. You guys are right. This is going to make a lot more sense when everything's released and we can watch it all as one big movie. I have to ask a question because I, I may have missed a plot point or a discussion point, but to my knowledge, we have no idea yet where the non-Mir, where the prime universe Lorca is, right? And they haven't stated that he's dead, right? Okay, right. You're opening a can of worms here. <laughs> okay, so... The, presu the presumption is that they switch places, right. but I actually kind of assumed that Lorca, the prime Lorca, like died with his ship, the Baran, when it exploded. The problem is, so, okay, let's talk about what he said happened with his Baran, which he was on the surface of a planet, he was beaming up, the Baran was flying into an ion storm, some torpedoes hit it while he was beaming up, there was a transporter accident, also it was the ion storm, also it was the torpedoes, and somehow all this stuff happening catapulted his Baran and also him, although it doesn't say where he went, into the Prime Universe, and then the Baran exploded, but somehow Lorca survived. Oh, what? Right, yeah. Yeah, there's a plot hole there. They really didn't explain that very well, and the nearest thing I can think of if I try to, like, retcon it in my brain is that the whole Ion Storm thingy actually made it so that the Baran 
was in both universes at once. And in fact, the explosion happened the same. That's the only thing I can think. This is a great interjection for a lightning storm in space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reword what you just said, Kenna, in the terms that our friends at Mission Log would use. They science the science and tech to the tech and Prime Lorca is probably yes. still out there and is going to be reintroduced to us. And all of some or all of the character development they had with Mirror Lorca... I think the writers will want to carry over into Prime Lorca, and we'll see how far they actually take that. But that's my prediction on how that's going to play out. Okay, here's my issue with what you just said. I don't care. I no longer care. I no longer care about Discovery. And this is, I came out of that episode going, well, ugh. Whoa. There's going to be a reset button. None of this happened. We know none of this happened. This, when they come back to the Prime Universe and they're like, oh, the Klingons are winning. And it didn't happen. So eh, we're going to get whatever happens in the next two episodes. It's going to be stuff and things. And then they're going to have to set a reset button. And it's all going to not happen. And I, so I don't care. But what's the canon that says that they didn't take over 80% and we didn't fight back? Well, okay. In fairness, I'm not entirely sure that anybody ever explicitly said exactly how much we lost in the Klingon War. Right. Keep in mind that the Enterprise is still out there flying around. Somebody at some point would have known right. that we almost entirely lost the Federation. Yeah. I just yeah. feel like that's kind of a major thing that's real tough for me to retcon and believe and I feel like the writers have painted themselves into a corner that it doesn't matter. If I cared about these characters, then maybe I'd want to see, like, ooh, how are they going to get out of this? But I know that at the end of episode 15, something's going to happen and we're going to go back to the start. Discovery is going to disappear or something or go to the future, whatever, because none of it happened. So I'm I'm now at the point, you've killed off Lorca, who was the most interesting character in the entire show, like, instantly. Everybody who's left is kind of, eh. And now we've got rid of literally all of the villains, except for this weird dangling story about Laurel and Vok. And I don't care anymore. It's too, it's, it was yeah. one twist too far. Mm. I've completely lost interest. And I'm going to watch it because I do this show. But this, was the, this would be the point at which the next two episodes I would never quite get around to watching. Yeah, it really pulled away from Burnham. They keep pushing these boundaries in terms of it being that, you know, no, it's a, the story's not really about the captain. It's about this first officer. It's about this specialist, Burnham. And good for you, Burnham. You survived. Yay! Exactly. <laughs> There's this curse that Star Trek needs to find its footing within the first few seasons. And how it works with CBS All Access, with it being a weekly show... Season two needs to be written in a way that plays more to weekly, I don't want to say episodic, but weekly storytelling. Because the fact that you don't care is a big deal. It's a major problem. Right? It's a big deal. Like, after this episode, I'm like, man, that was good. I'm done. I, that's how I feel, too. It could have been the season finale. It really could have. Yes. And then yes. the next, the whole next season is about the, uh, you know, finishing off the Klingon. It could have yes. been a season finale, and we've got two more yes. episodes, but I'm done. What are they going to do in the next two episodes? Yeah, that's what I was just going to get into, Elijah. I'm a little scared for what they're going to do for the season finale, because typically you save your biggest cliffhanger or your biggest twist for your season finale and draw everybody back in for the next season. But uh, they may have played a lot of their cards too early. And supposedly they want to wrap up the Klingon War in the first season. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that this is the writer's fault. I think this is 
the people in the higher ups, the Les Moonves, the people in the suits that said, yeah, we need to, you know, this, this has got to be serialized. We got to, we got to make sure we get this done in, in one season. Let's say Star Trek doesn't continue beyond season one. We got to make sure we wrap this up in one season. Oh, remember it was going to be 13 episodes as well. Right. So the writers were clearly put between a rock and a hard place for this season because so much is happening. I wish I was like a non-Trekkie. I want to watch this as a non-Trekkie. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch this as somebody outside of this and binge it. Yeah. Like, that's what I want. That's what I want. to. I want to be that person. I envy that person so much because at the end of the season, I want to binge it and I want to know what that experience is like because I think that it's a better experience than what we've been getting as Trekkies week to week. You have basically just argued that what J.J. Abrams did is kind of what you want to happen here. Like, if you could take the Discovery series and take the term Star Trek out of it, and it's just Discovery, a space show, you'd be all on board with what they've done? No, because J.J., I don't want to get started on J.J., but Batman is a better comparison to this because The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Returns were great films, great films with some phenomenal acting that happened to be a story about Batman. I see where you're going with that, yeah. I would love to have seen a great story, a great arc. That just so happened to be about Star Trek. I'm not sure we got that. <laughs> and as always, you never know. Okay, the next two episodes, it's a catch-22. Because either it's entirely predictable, in which case we have two episodes of predictability, or they throw in another twist, and then it's like, an another twist? Really? They're going to do that. Yeah. I'm certain they're going to yeah. do that. It's a catch-22. It's either... And it's going to be known as the Star Trek series that was literally a twist around every corner. A retcon of retcons. It's, yeah. Because we had the twist with Ash Tyler as Vok, And then we had the twist of they're going to the Mirror Universe. It's the twist of Mirror Lorca. And it's... Uh, be that as it may. Hmm. Damn, it was a good episode. It was quite nice. It was so <laughs> it was, good. It was fun I to mean, watch. It was fun it really to watch. Was. There was there it were bits really of was. it that were not satisfying, right. a little bit disappointing, but for the most part, really good. Right. I, can I raise a question? I believe you just did. When? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Skippy. When you're in a firefight and everybody's got phasers, right? Who decides who dies and lies down on the ground, <laughs> and who just gets instantly vaporized? Is it a setting? Because I would have thought that they would have all put on the same setting. And if you if you watch the scene with Giorgio and the turrets and the thing, like half the people just kind of fall over and then half the people just go and then, you know, disappear entirely. I have an answer to this that I think everybody that plays Star Trek online will appreciate. Okay. It's an exposure thing. Is it a critical Expose, hit? Expose, It's a critical hit. It's a, yeah, it's an expose, exploit Flaking damage detected. Where, yes, yeah, that's what it is, is that... Whoever got vaporized, like, was like, ah, vaporize me with arms open. And the person who wasn't vaporized had, like, a, you know, was, like, in a, defense, a defensive pose. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so I think thought. it's an MMO kind of. <laughs> Don't get flames. You'll lose your whole body. Yes, yes. <laughs> Don't yes. forget the personal shield. Yeah. And the point, again, with the phasers, Tony actually brought this up when we were doing the Patreon version of On Screen last night, was that um, for some reason phasers now, like, charge up. 
when you take them out of the holster, it's like akin to like, you know, handgun clicky clacky noises. They all go, and the turrets do it too. Like they charge up before they go pew pew. Uh, It's really distracting. Once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. I don't, nah. Whatever, you nerds. I uh, totally did not notice that. It's like the Wilhelm scream. Once you hear it, you're going to hear it everywhere. <gasps> it was pretty abrupt. It was pretty blatant in this episode when she charges her phaser. Yeah. And holds it there for 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. There were elements of this, and I can only blame the interaction between the direction and the cinematography that were disappointing because they took me out of the moment. So the bits where I noticed in that big firefight in the hallway between Giorgio and Lorca where some people were getting vaporized, but some people weren't. Like, that bit took me out of it. Uh, The end fight scene, which I loved, I wanted to love so much more, but the way it was shot looked so fake. Hmm, really? I didn't feel that way. And, yeah, to me, there was one bit where one of them punched, I think it was Landry or something, and she was, like, a mile away from her face. It just... Yeah, but is it... Isn't that Star Trek, though? Didn't you see the episode <laughs> of TOS where where McCoy gets punched in one direction and he recoils in the opposite direction? <laughs> that legit so happens. Maybe that's legit Star Trek. I don't know. <laughs> but it, was just, it took me out of the moment. That's all I'm saying. Um, that's the Expos attack right there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it was it was close. All right. So in analyzing this episode, I do want to talk about some of the touchstones, right? They clearly touchstoned Die Hard quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the writer of the episode in After Track talks about how they did it purposely, right? Like oh, did got, they do it purposely? Got, oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch After Trek, so yeah. Yeah, it was on purpose. Like, if you see Burnham in the Jeffries tube calling on Saru. That's like, you know... Welcome to, oh, come, come to the Mirror Universe. Have a good time. You know, like calling on Saru, like Bruce Willis calls on um, on the, the, the officer at the bottom. Yeah. I forget his name. And then, of course, you have Burnham yep. talking to Hans Gruber over the wireless mic, right? Yep. It's yep. this very, like, hello, Hans, oh, crazy cowboy kind of thing. And then, of course, Hans Gruber meeting the mycelial network. I'll tell you what they missed, though. Talking back to, God, what episode was it? Right at the beginning, episode three, I think, when Burnham is helping out the crew of the Discovery on that other ship that got blown up and the tardigrades there blowing everything up. And she's crawling through the Jeffries tubes talking to herself, right? She's talking about Alice in Wonderland. She's quoting it, right? And it was really out of whatever. They they totally needed to do that in this episode to be truly diehard, and they didn't. They forgot about that bit. Uh, that's true. That's true. That's true. They should have. <laughs> okay, so we get a little bit of diehard here. It's not a Christmas episode. It's not a Valentine's <laughs> episode, but it's a diehard episode. But we do have Jeffrey's tube, and then of course we have Saru's speech yeah. of the no-win scenario. Yeah. Now, if I had the opportunity of sitting down and talking with Doug Jones. Because he's a character actor behind a character, mm-hmm. behind a latex character. And if I had the opportunity of asking him one question, it would be, once you are made up, do you go in front of the mirror and make ridiculous faces behind the latex? Do you push the latex to the limit to see how far you can take expression? <laughs> Probably. Just to see how far he can take his expressions. Mm-hmm. Because that speech... That inspired me. That was like, oh man, I am, I, yeah, I'm Captain Saru, 100%, no salt on the ganglia. 
Ew. And then they kind of had to ruin it by saying no win scenario like 40 other times. Okay. Hey, guys. Guys. No win scenario. Get it? Get it? No, oh no win gosh. scenario. Get it? They drove Because we're home. Star Trek. <laughs> so you made the comment, Elijah, about the epic starship attack. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. Sexy. This was, it was great to see the Discovery doing something. That's true. That's true. Oh, touche. Touche, yeah. Yeah, I mean, was. they did a bit of teching the tech to make it all kind of work. Yeah. I'll tell you what. If you go back and watch it, so they're riding this mycelial whatever shockwave, and they're at warp, and they're going and going. You actually see the saucer section start to spin up while they're at warp, and then they do the thing. And it was, I thought it was a really nicely done effect. I was there, and I was like, oh, yeah, and I was so excited when they yeah. when they went to black yeah. alert, and I was like, they're going home. I was so excited, and then, of course, massively disappointed at the end, but that whole bit was very uh, emotional and evocative to me. Even before that for me, when she's swooping in, the helmsman, mm-hmm. she's swooping in, and great acting on her part, because yeah. I have never, ever been so invested in a helmsman in Star Trek as I have in this actress. And she doesn't even have any lines. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But you see her hands go up and you, you see her mm-hmm. guiding the impulse engines right into the orb. Yep. And I yelled out, fire, even before it even happened. I was so excited and so energized by that scene because who doesn't love pretty ships and pretty ships fighting? Yeah. I mean, seriously, that was just great. Uh, credit to that actress, by the way. Her name is Emily Coots. Yeah. She had seconds in those moments on screen and mm-hmm. yet she delivered it with such determination and such focus. Don't forget, she's the one as well. If you remember way back to the Harry Mud time loop episode, do you remember when Ash Tyler was up giving his speech on the table yeah. and it was like we're talking to about our fallen yep. friends and whatever. She was the one with that little moment where you saw all of that in her face. The nuance. And she's stolen the show a couple of times. I'm, yeah, I'm she has. very impressed with her as an actress yeah. for that. Yeah, kudos to her. Kudos to her. I don't get too attached. They'll just blow her up next episode. <laughs> That's right. We like her now, so she has to die. <laughs> So we've been analyzing and nitpicking some of the storytelling in this episode, but there's clearly some in-your-face allegorical referencing to the political, racial, cultural tensions growing in the United States right now. Mm -hmm. With Lorca, one of his clear objectives is that the emperor has allowed too much flexibility. Yep. And he wants to make the Terran Empire great again. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is deep. This is very deep. Yeah, but they fail to follow through, and they've done this time and time again. First of all, it's not very subtle that he's got this southern accent because we questioned why does he have that. I think that's not subtle. But, you know, we talked about this last week where the writers have attempted to tackle consensual sex versus rape. They have attempted to tackle the death of gay characters on screen. And they here they attempt to tackle this sort of hyper-nationalistic sentiment that leads these people like Lorca to seek power. And then you know what they do? They kill him off three scenes later. They had a great opportunity to flesh that out, to examine it, to kind of bring it to the forefront and like make it part of the plot. And then they just killed him so they don't have to deal with it. And they've done it over and over and over again and it's starting to get disappointing and I'm 
well, <laughs> I'm starting to notice. For the last uh, three episodes, we've been in the Mirror Universe being told that the Mirror Universe is bad because they want the purity of the Terran race, blah, blah, blah. Here it turns out that one of our main characters is actually an infiltrator from the Mirror Universe. He's going to be the bad guy. We have such an opportunity to stretch that out and really dive into that conflict and they just they just cut it off they just kill him and then we're back we're talking about Klingons again I think the key issue for me is that they have raised some really interesting challenging and difficult social issues which is one of the reasons I watch Star Trek is for is for those kind of issues to be talked about and then they have just failed to follow through on that discussion they haven't brought anything new they haven't made any social commentary they've dropped this plot point in and then left it and moved on to uh, pew pew and right, right and I see that right. as a shortcoming it's disappointing because they've got the time they've got the time and they right. failed to take advantage of it right right and I'm hoping as we move into the second season whenever that may be that instead of it taking three or four seasons for Star Trek to get its legs that the showrunners realize okay no we're not writing a binge worthy show we're writing a weekly show mm -hmm. we need to pull back yeah we need to pull back and focus on story a b or c give me back episode six and seven the time loop one and that other one that i can't remember what it was because it sorry uh, yes uh, give me back those two and give me more of Lorca. give me more of you mean you mean give them back? Give get take take them away? Yeah, take them away. They just didn't happen. Yeah. Give me two more episodes of the struggle of this yeah. hypernationalistic Lorca versus discovery in the Federation. Yep. Give give me more of that. I, yeah. That's the stuff that I want to see Star Trek tackle, yeah. not a literal disco light show time loop. Although that was fun, and I did actually like that episode, so please don't get rid of it. <laughs> it was actually kind of fun. I was going to say, it was a pretty neat disco. <laughs> I hope they build that for SDLV. Yeah. There's no doubt that we are analyzing Star Trek Discovery in very different lenses than mm. a non-Trekkie or the average Trekkie or a casual Trekkie might watch it. And also as people who have watched television, yeah. people who who know what serialized television is versus episodic versus the difference between The Walking Dead and The Punisher or Daredevil. You know, it's funny because I was writing this tweet the other day and it was... DS9 was before its time, before its time when it came to serialized television. We talked about this last week about the Dominion being the quote unquote B plot. I was thinking about this. I was like, wait a minute. Deep Space Nine was on the cusp of DVR television, right? The TiVo and the, 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 the ability to record your episode easier than putting a tape into the VHS, to the VCR and scheduling the VCR. And oh my gosh, and did it record, did it not record? DVRs changed the face of television in terms of serialized storytelling. I think we forget that. And Deep Space Nine really pioneered this. And my point is that here we are again, Star Trek is pioneering something like CBS All Access and it's still finding its footing, mm -hmm. but it shouldn't, it shouldn't. We're, we're pretty deep into the technology. Yeah. And I hope that in the second season, we get stories that cater to 
whatever the heck Les Moonves wants or whatever the heck the people in the suits want, which is a weekly show that people have to subscribe to monthly to watch. All right, give me that story. Yeah. Give me that story so I can feel invested and not tell my friends, yeah, you know what? Wait and binge it. I don't want to tell my friends to wait and binge it. I want to tell them, yo, subscribe each month. Because yeah, let's, this, let's this watch it together. Yeah, let's watch it together because it's good. Yeah. And I hope that's what the second season brings. Yeah, I agree. Because we have great performances from some phenomenal actors. I mean, Emmy, Emmy worthy, award-winning performances. Mm -hmm. And I feel that they've been pigeonholed. Well, that's it for this week's coverage of Star Trek Discovery's 13th episode, What's Past is Prologue. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 351's first community question was... How are you celebrating Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary this year? Are you rewatching it? Looking forward to Iris Steven Bear's new documentary? Or logging into Star Trek Online for the DS9 content? From Twitter, at Stowe underscore Shane says, I won't rewatch all of DS9, but I will replay my favorite episodes. And yeah, a heavy dose of Stowe content. Sean Newby writes, wonderful show. I love DS9. We'll definitely rewatch at some point. The new episode was all right. Not really impressive. P.S. You do realize you don't have to keep ships after you get the trait, don't you? Kenna. I need to respond to this because a couple people actually had this comment. Yes, I know that. I don't really care that much about the trait most of the time. And also, I don't really care that much about the Admiralty card. It's something that is deeply embedded in my psyche that if I'm going to spend several weeks investing in getting a thing i can't just throw it away i can't just get rid of it i mean i guess i could reclaim it you're a hoarder aren't you okay it's been a long time since i've talked about this in star trek online i am really into my immersion my immersion my immersion and i just i don't like earning something to then toss it away i can't i can't i can't so it's just for me personally the barrier of what i want to go and actually get is quite high and then I will go and get it and I will enjoy the trait and I will enjoy the card and all the things but I can't just throw I can't just throw a ship away I'm with you Kenna I don't uh, I am a ship collector and I do not discard any ships I just send them to dry dock I'm a ship collector through and through yeah and that's another option I think I've just personally have reached the place in my playing where I'm a little more picky about the things that I even bring into my inventory in the first place so that's just me it's just a different play style Anyway, from Facebook, Stephen Carville says, I'm looking forward to Destination Star Trek in Birmingham this year with the DS9 crew, including the incredible Nanav Visitor, and not just one Dax, but two. And I can second Stephen's sentiment. Destination Star Trek in Birmingham is actually quite a fun little show, and they do a good party as well. I was there last year? No, it was the year before, 2016. And we had a really great time. In fact, I met up with Stephen at the Rat Pack party thing afterwards. It was a really good time. It's a totally different show from something like STLV, but still really worth going. You know, that's funny you say that because the Birmingham con is kind of like STLV. It's the mecca for mm. for at least the UK. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of Europe and a lot of Europe, but you have the Germany convention. I know that too. But here 
in the States, they have the regional conventions, but really STLV is like the, the one you gotta go to. Yeah. If I had the money to splurge, I would go to Birmingham. I would. So all of the panels and such are a la carte. So the tickets to get in are very cheap, unlike something like STLV where it's all inclusive, but it's a really expensive ticket. The tickets to get into Destination Star Trek are very inexpensive, but then everything's a la carte. Each panel gets charged separately. Each signature or photo opportunity, well, that's the same. But what you can get are some really cool, like, informal opportunities. Because when I went, I actually didn't pay for any of the panels because I'd spent a ton of money already. But I got really lucky and I saw a panel with Christopher Lloyd, Alice Krieg, and Marina Sirtis, I believe. And that was just for free because they'd done that on one of the smaller stages that was outside of the main presentation area. It's a smaller area. It's a lot more intimate. It's a very different show but it's still very, very good. And people do come to that one from all over Europe because it's actually relatively easy to get to Birmingham on, especially if you're taking like one of the lower cost airlines. If you're in Europe, if you can get to it, highly recommended going. You know, I probably would not pay for any of the panels because a lot of them tell a lot of the same stories once they're on stage. Yeah. yeah. I would like to go just to be with European Trekkies because there's no doubt that the culture is different. I think it would just be a cultural exchange programmy kind of thing where we all get to know each other. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I think I'm going to do a trip to Birmingham. What's funny is actually one of the people that I met up with who I'd known from other things was actually an American guy who'd flown over from (laughs) Missouri, somewhere in the Midwest. (laughs) I went all this way. But it wasn't Mizu guy. It wasn't, it wasn't Mizu. No, no, no. It was Captain Morgan. So he'd flown over from Kansas or Missouri. I can't remember which. So you will meet Americans there, too. I keep telling Winters I'm thinking about going to Ireland. Maybe instead we just all we just go to Birmingham. That's not a bad idea. You guys could meet up there. Yeah. Our second community question for episode 351 was, what part of the eighth anniversary event in Star Trek Online are you most looking forward to? Is it the Omega minigame? A party popper? Maybe the new Starship? Let us know. From Facebook, Juan Aguilar says, I predicted the arrival of the Herc in the Stowe forums, but everybody called me crazy, even disrespected. Well, who's laughing now? (laughs) Way to go, Juan, calling the Herc. I'm really going to have to rewatch Deep Space Nine because I vaguely remember the Herc. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, Great mission, a little slow at the start, but the two big reveals, the Herc and Odo, were very enjoyable. I wonder if the Herc's return is really the reason that Odo wants to talk with us, because he doesn't explicitly say what it is he's here for. He could be asking for help with a completely different problem, like a Dominion Civil War, or another outside attacker like the rogue Iconian, Tiket. Either way, I'm eagerly looking forward to seeing what Victory is Life is all about, hopefully with a Cardassian slash Dominion player faction. I just really want to hear Garrick say, congratulations, Gull, with that wry smile of his. That would be great. Do we actually think a Cardassian Dominion faction is coming? Nah. It's been rumored for years. It's been rumored for many years. It's not going to be a faction, though. It's so difficult to do a faction. I mean, think of how difficult and confusing it was when we introduced the 23rd century. I mean, there was some cool gameplay that went on and the temporal recruits and all that, but... We can't have more factions. We can't have more factions. I think if they did it, they would do it like that, and you'd end up as a, well, end up as a KDF is what I envision, but they'd probably want to give you the choice. 
I really hope they don't introduce another faction when, by the time you hit 60, there is no war between the KDF and the Federation. So yeah. therefore, we should all be one big happy family. Yeah, I certainly hope not. I wouldn't mind playable Cardassians, playable Dominion would be kind of cool, but not a whole different faction, not a whole different storyline and all that. Right. Although, right. you know, I can see why people would want that. Hey, they could just, you know, fragment the timeline and do another alternate universe. Shut your mouth, Skiffy. <laughs> Jason Smith writes in via Twitter, I enjoyed that mission a lot. Well written. With the return of some great voice actors, too. Like J.G. Hertzler, Kipley Brown, Michelle Specht, and now the introduction of Rene Abigenois. Great job. This week, we requested gifts for our second Gifit Friday. This time around, the incomparable Kenna. Like last week, there were some fun entries. This week's winner goes out to Patreon supporter and friend of the show, Chris Keen, with a friend's gif of Chandler and Joey moving. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. <laughs> I'm glad that's like my overarching character trait is that I move. <laughs> I don't just move small. It's not like I move down the street either. Sponsored by Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. You've at least got a stand goal. <laughs> I, I literally, I move my body. Also, I like to move halfway around the world. Next year, broadcasting live from Thailand. Ooh. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I just want to clarify that, Elijah, because I could tell you're freaking out over there. I was there. say, breaking news. Yeah. No, 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 no. My favorite gif was the one that I posted, which is flames, the flames. <laughs> on the side on of the side face. Of face. <laughs> and fuego. That was me. Yes. That was me. Yeah. That's, I think that was inspired because I tried to find all of the superheroes that I posted them for myself. So I think I put Wonder Woman and Supergirl and then the Dark Phoenix, like, freaking out. <laughs> all accurate, I would hasten to point out. Finally, we took to Twitter for our weekly survey Sunday and asked, who's your favorite Star Trek Discovery alien character? And out of 47 votes... 66% said Saru, hashtag strongest prey ever. 9% said Laurel, hashtag those magic fingers. 11% said Vok, hashtag but I'm dead though, right? <laughs> and 14% said Sarek, hashtag Frayne Leonard Fusion. And a big shout out to Jake for coming up with the hashtags because they're always like out there. I love it. <laughs> But yeah, no surprise there that everyone's favorite is Saru. Is no surprise at all. Well, that wraps up episode 352 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and the brand new Trek Files by Larry Nemechek, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But captains, before we go, we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters. Navy Boats Lou, David S., Admiral, and one of our new patrons, Star Kicker. Here's a reminder of our community question this week. Are you ready to see Captain Kirk return from the dead in a Tarantino-led Star Trek film? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast, or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. 
Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the Armada. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Stowe players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv slash Priority One. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One's Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with support from Midnight Shadow 7, and additional support, and we are so very grateful for the return of Skiffy and Ben Churchill for lending us a hand in audio editing this month. Speaking of Jake Morgan, what a wonderful community manager we have. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Now, as I've been going through the Patreon back end and looking at our new contributors and our new patrons, I've noticed a very humbling trend. What? Back end. It's a back end. <laughs> as I've been looking up I, the back end. I was holding up the laughter until she started. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. It's been a very long day. 
maybe like not the captains paper your dashboard or something <laughs> all right i will, I will. Ag- what? Ah, aguilar aguilar yeah but not like aguilar it's <laughs> aguilar <laughs> it really hurts okay that was the worst joke ever let's it, edit it it hurts back to <laughs> deep space nine <laughs> Why you, why you gotta hurt me like that, Elijah? You guys suck. <laughs> it was so bad. It's so bad. So bad. As well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the Armada. Ah. And some the, of the amazing the, members in the Armada. What? Say that last sentence again. <laughs> It's the best Run thing in the Amarda, Amarda. Yeah, the Amarda. Amarda This would be easier to do if it, the entire paragraph wasn't a single sentence. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Don't forget Don't to forget. tune in. <laughs> okay, because... Uh, podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network